Now, we're in the, about the sixth week of The Blessed Life. I'm glad you're back for it. I'm so excited about this. Pull out your notes, something to write with. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 19. And the title of the message today is called Breaking Free from the Spirit of Mammon. And truly, when you're free, you are free to change other people. When you're free, you're free for the purposes of God. And we're going to talk about breaking free from the Spirit of Mammon. Mammon is not what you think it is. I know what it sounds like, but we're going to explain that today. In fact, in the companion book for this series, The Blessed Life, Robert Morris in the fifth chapter really does a fantastic job explaining what mammon is and the spirit of it that has gripped so many of our lives. And you can pick that up in our lobby or anywhere books are sold. We're studying that in our small groups right now. And I want to pass on to you the outline for the message today that has just helped me so much. So um, what is mammon? Let's read and find out what Jesus had to say. He's the one who talks about it. He mentions it four times in the New Testament. We're going to look at all four times that he spoke it in the Bible today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one, and if I could just underline that and emphasize it, there's not one person, no one, uh, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate one and love the other. Else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot, it is impossible, nobody ever can serve God and mammon. But what's mammon? Now, when Luke records Jesus' words, he's a doctor and he gives more detail. And you've heard me say this before. Let's go over to the book of Luke in verse 19, or chapter 19, and see what he has to say about uh, what Jesus said about mammon. It's the same moment, and he just gives us more information. Jesus is speaking. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, there's that word again, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. What does that mean? Well, we're going to talk about that today. He who is faithful with what is least is faithful in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust in much. So that's a truth of life. Therefore, if you've not been faithful, look, in the unrighteous mammon, what is that? Who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what's your own? And here it is again, no servant, nobody, not one person can serve two masters. He will hate one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, Jesus didn't say this about anything else. He didn't say this about you can't serve God and this and a whole list of things. This is the only thing that he ever said where he says, you can't serve God and serve mammon. Now, mammon sounds like something. What is he talking about? That's my first point today. we got to ask the question. If he says you can't serve God and mammon, well, what is mammon? It gets translated in a lot of our Bibles, some of the newer versions, as money or riches or wealth. But the word mammon is actually an Aramaic word that got transliterated. It's a, it means that it's actually mammon. It's an Aramaic word that didn't get translated, that got put right into um, the New King James Version of the Bible. When they translated the King James, it's, they just said, this word needs to be what it is. And I think that's important because it's, it's, it's riches, but it's not really just that. Um, Jesus was talking about something else, and his audience would have known exactly what he's talking about, and we need to know that. Mammon was a Babylonian Chaldean god, the spirit of money. And Jesus is making a personification that we cannot afford to miss. Where does Babylon come from? 
Babel on, Babel on, Babel on. So the first city that was ever built in the history of the world is a city called Babel. And they were, those people uh, were famous for trying to build a tower uh, to God. And they were basically saying, they were in their own way saying, we're going to create our own system to get to God. We're going to do what we want to do. And so God uh, judged that sort of anti-God, humanistic, we don't need God, we'll do what we want to do, and he caused confusion. The word Babylon actually means sown in confusion. And that's what God did. He confused the languages at Babel, Babylon. But, but really, this is what Jesus is personifying. The sin of Babel was an anti-God, we don't need God, we can do it on our own. And that's really what Jesus is getting at here. Mammon is a spirit. Mammon is a, is a spirit that is on money, it's on riches, it's on wealth, and we need to know about it. It is a spirit that is on it. You can have the spirit of God. All the money you have in your control right now, it has the spirit of God on it. Or it has the spirit of mammon on it. You want the spirit of God on your money, on your finances. Here's what that heart looks like. God, you own it all. God, you, you are the owner of all things. And I am your steward. And I bring to you what belongs to you. I bring you the tithe. Notice the scriptures always say bring. Why? Because you can't give God something that's already his. It, the tithe belongs to the Lord. The first 10%, God says, it's mine. And so the heart of this is, God, you do own it all. And as a, as a, as a good steward, I recognize your authority. Listen, this is the heart. I recognize your authority, and I bring to you the first part that belongs to you as an indicator that you and I both know that I need you, that I'm dependent on you, and that you are my provider. Now listen, a lot of people will argue all of the details on this, but let me tell you the heart of God, that is exactly the heart of God for you and for me and for every Christian, that we would come to him and say, God, I need you, I am dependent upon you, and you're my provider. Now the spirit of mammon is the total opposite of that. God, I don't need you, I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. God, I'm going to be my own provider. And so God says, you want the spirit of God to be on your, on your resources, then bring to God what it is, honor him with the first, and God redeems the rest from the, from the consequences, the, the cursed state, the state where, where it's just uh, open to the world system, where it's lost and it gets spent on all kinds of things that we don't even, that are just temporal, and, we, and it runs through our fingers, the devourer comes and eats it away from the bottom. You ever had that happen? You ever seen uh, the devourer sort of eat away something? You have an asset, a resource, an account, a stock, something, and no matter what you do, no matter what moves you make, it continues to just go down and it gets eaten out from the bottom. And did you ever bring to God the tithe of that resource? Oh, well, that was like way before, before I was a Christian. Well, I know, but why wouldn't you bring everything that is yours under the the provision, and under the protection of God, the blessing of God. You see, if, if, if it's under the spirit of God, it's not going to be devoured up. It's going to be blessed, and it's going to be multiplied. But let me tell you, this is a spirit, and I know you're kind of thinking this through, but let me show you how it's a spirit. Jesus said, and he was really clear, he said, it's impossible to have two masters. You can't have one master who is God, and you can't have another that's saying a different voice to you, and mammon has a voice. No one can serve two masters. You'll hate one, you'll love the other. You'll, you'll, you'll be loyal to one, but you will despise the other. A lot of Christians actually despise God. And here's what I mean. Something happens, 
uh, something breaks, something is lost, something is stolen, something gets eaten out from the bottom, the devourer is eating it, and the person actually blames God. God, why are you letting this happen to me? See, that's what mammon will do. You can, you can, you'll be loyal to one and you'll despise the other. And most of us have unknowingly grown up under the voice of this spirit, a spirit that never, ever delivers on its promise. Mammon is trying to take the place of God. You don't need to depend on God. You, you need more money. You don't need really God. I mean, I know you say you need God, but what I really need in life is more money. I mean, if I had more money, then I would be significant. People would respect me. People would, people would you know, give, I would have an identity. I would be somebody. Or I would be happy. I'd have a better marriage if I had more money. Or I would have security. I, could, I would have freedom. I could do whatever I wanted to do. See, that's the subtle voice. If I just had more money, then, but here's the funny thing. All of us know that's not true. All of us, like, if I had more money, I would have less stress. <laughs> you ever heard that voice? Well, that's just not true. And all of our entertainment is watching people who have it all and they have more and they have lots and their lives are full of stress and full of problems and full of discouragement and all kinds of things. And yet suddenly we're hearing the exact same voice that tells us you really don't need God in your life. What you need is more money because that's what provides security and identity. But listen, God is the only one that can ever provide identity, security, uh, significance, uh, love, peace, joy. God's the only one that can provide that for you. And yet, mammon, the spirit, is whispering to you, yeah, but I provide that for you. It's trying to take the place of God. Mammon is looking to be your master to the point where you don't have money. Money has you. And it's an anti-God, the spirit of antichrist. You say, wait a minute, what do you mean antichrist? Yeah, the spirit of mammon is a spirit of antichrist. You know, the book of Revelation talks about in the end, uh, the antichrist isn't going to come and threaten people with, and he's not going to have horns and look all evil. He's going to come in as, as a hero and people are going to be excited. And he's not going to control the world with the threat of nuclear war or terrorism. He's going to control people, listen, under the threat of being able to, not being able to buy or sell. And Mammon is saying that to you now. You can't provide for your family without me. And Mammon is saying right now that uh, you really can't be somebody without me. Uh, you, you, you know that I'm the answer to all of your problems. And so Mammon is the one that wants to be your God. And the way you know that it's a spirit is because it talks to you. You hear God speak to you and say, you ought to give this. Or you ought to bring the tithe to me. And you start to hear that. And immediately all of these objections and all of this voicing, all of the excuses and all of this. Well, wait, you can't do that. Well, you won't have enough. Uh, there's not enough to go around if you do that. And you start to hear that voice. It's very subtle. And it's trying to replace what God is saying. Mammon is subtle and will say things to you like, well, I know you're trying to help people, so what you really need is more money. If you had more money, then you can really help people. I remember when I was first starting out as a young guy, and I had a guy come to me and say, I know you want to go in the ministry. And I I'd felt the call of God to go in this direction and someone came right at that moment and says, hey, you come work for me. I'll make you really rich. And then you can go help as many people as you want. What a temptation. Very, very subtle. But, but we seem to think that if we just had more money. I've heard so many people say, well, if I won the lottery, then. <laughs> you ever heard people say that? Well, if only I run the, pastor, if I win the lottery, then. You know, if I had more, then. It's so subtle. Like, like, as if, like as if money is really the answer. Listen, 
Uh, we don't help people. God, first of all, helps people. God is the one helping people right now. He doesn't even need you and me. He's perfectly capable of meeting everybody's need. When in the New Testament do you see people running up to Jesus? And, you know, uh, the, 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 the lame man, the sick man, the, the, the blind, the deaf, the prostitute, and they're all running up to Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he says, well, you know what your problem is? You need more money. <laughs> when did he ever say that? He's not saying that, and, and Mammon is saying that to, today, but it's not God that's saying that. Because God's the one that helps people, and he invites you to be his hands and feet, but God doesn't need your help to help people. It is a subtle, anti-God spirit that's whispering to you and saying things like this. Like, you know, you ever, had, you ever had this whisper? I have. I either need God to come through for me, or I need somebody to give me some money. <laughs> and you know what? If we had the money, it would be like, well, I don't really need God because problem solved. It is a subtle, so I just want you to recognize that when he says mammon, there is a spirit that we need to break free from. Now, it sounds like it's money, because what if Jesus said next, I mean, is money evil? Is that what he's saying, break away from money because money is bad? It's not what he's saying. Jesus talked about it in Luke 16. I mean, it did, he did call it unrighteous mammon. That's why you've got to know that mammon is not money. It's something a little different. It's a spirit. Because if Jesus actually said money is unrighteous, we'd think it's evil. And a lot of people say, well, money's the root of all evil. You ever heard anybody say that? Well, that's not true. You know what the Bible actually says? Look at this, 1 Timothy chapter 6. For the love of money, or the lust, or the greed, or the selfishness, or the corruption, uh, the, the unrighteous desire for money is at the root of all evil. Look, which some have coveted after, and they erred from the faith, and they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Here, here's what happens. The love of money, the lust of money, the, the desire for, the pursuit of, that brings a lot of sorrow. And see, mammon, the spirit, is never able to deliver on his promise. In fact, it's a lie. And he's trying to say, you don't need God. What you need is money. But money in itself isn't evil. It's just a tool. It can be used for good or for bad. It can be used for just temporal purposes or it can be used for eternal purposes. It can just evaporate or be used over stuff that doesn't really matter. Like, you know, however many downloads from iTunes or whatever it is that, you know, stuff that just kind of comes and goes. Or it can be used for eternal purposes. And when you look at verse 9 in Luke 16, it says this. Make, I say to you, Jesus is speaking, make friends for yourselves by this unrighteous mammon that when you fail they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, at first glance, it's strange. It's weird. It, it makes us think like Jesus is saying, buy some friends, do some good, and then people will like you. But that's not what he's saying. The key is the word fail, and when you look at that, it, it's the Greek text there or, or other translations make it simpler. It means just to die, to pass away. When you die, when you're done, when your body fails, when you pass away, they, people, will receive you into an everlasting home. So what Jesus is saying is this, take the unrighteous mammon, money that's been committed to the world system, money that's unredeemed, money that has just, you know, no purpose at all of eternal value, take that and, and redeem it and honor God and bring to him and use money in your power to bring people into the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to think about this. Because this, this is such a different church. We are so different than the church that many of you grew up in or many of you heard about. Or some of you haven't been around this for a long time. But this is not a club. 
This is not a church where we got together and said, wouldn't it be nice if we got a little club and we did some things together and we just kind of hung out and we were a family. The family part's a byproduct. We're a church that got started from day one because we actually believe Jesus said that there was a mission uh, for us to do, that he said that, you know, everything is broken. I want, do you realize that? Everything in this whole world is broken. Marriages are broken, and families are broken, and kids are broken, and the government is broken, and education's broken, and healthcare is broken, and, um, uh, you know, everything. People are, people are broken. And God so loved the world that he gave and he sent his son right into that broken world. And then he called people like you and me and he says, I want you to go into the whole world and I want you to tell people about me. And I want you to touch and to heal and bring hope and healing to the broken. I want you to bring cups of cold water in my name. I want you to clothe the naked. I want you to be my hands and feet. And he calls people to come and to participate in his mission. Well, that's how this church got started from day one. We always existed for people who weren't here yet. And so we started to reach out and launch out, and we loved people well, and we started to lead people into that transforming relationship with Jesus, and, you know, thousands of people have been baptized over these 13 years, and we've launched out seven other churches, and we've sent money around the world and water in Africa, and you've heard all these stories, and here's what that's all about. One day, this is what this verse is saying, one day there are going to be people standing at the gate of heaven that are going to welcome you into heaven and say thank you to you. One day, people are going to be standing there, and they're going to look at you, and you're not, you don't even know them. And they're going to line up by the, by the thousands, and they're going to look at you as a part of this mission, and they're going to say, I want to thank you for what you gave. And you're going to say, I had no idea. And they're going to say, well, I didn't know you either, but look what God has done. See, the Bible says that we don't see things as they are right now, but one day we'll see them as they really are. And, you know, when, when my dad was, was eight years old, I don't know what most eight-year-olds do in church, but imagine when you're eight years old and you're in grown-up church and you're probably looking out the window and something. But one day when he was eight years old, the church that he grew up in, a little church in western Canada in Saskatchewan, about 50 to 60 people, they, they brought in a missionary that they supported, a missionary from Japan. And that missionary spoke that night about what God was doing in different parts of the world and how he was changing people's lives. And something got a hold of my dad's heart at eight years old. And at the end, the man said, I want some people to consider giving their whole lives to bring the gospel to people all over the world. And my dad responded. And I don't know what happened at other people's heart that night, but my dad's life was changed in that one moment. You can be eight years old and God can speak to you. And it altered the direction of his life. And I think about the impact of that moment and the, the giving of that little church that was supporting that missionary who came and just happened to speak for God in that moment. And his words affected my dad's life, who would then put his life on a trajectory. He went to Bible school, and he got married to my mom and went to this little island nation called Dominica, where I was raised and grew up. And I watched them love people well, and I watched them lead people. And all my life I've seen this, love people well. Earn the right to be heard. Lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. I watched in that first year, they led 10 young men to the Lord. One of them was a, was a guy named Claudius Estrada, Zacco, and he was a Rastafarian, and he hated white people, and he was militant. And my dad just loved him well, met him on the street, and became his friend. And over time, Zacco gave his life to Jesus Christ, and he was radically changed. He cut off all of his dreads, and he put on clean clothes, and my mom gave him his first Bible, and he wore it out. And when it wore out, she gave him a second Bible. And they helped him find a place to live, and they helped him get off of drugs, and they took him in, and they began to minister to him and to train him. They even funded him to go to a Bible college. 
where he became a pastor. And he went back and he started a church in the island nation of St. Thomas, Virgin Islands, where today there's a church of thousands of people that he's the pastor of. And not only that, as people immigrated from the Virgin Islands to the U.S., he's got a second church in Orlando, Florida today, where there's thousands of people in Orlando. And somewhere along the way, God put a burden on his heart. He was asked to go and preach in Japan. (laughs) And he's in Japan, and he started a church in Japan, and he flies back and forth to Japan where he's launching pastors into a church planting movement. Is that crazy? A Rastafarian in Japan? You hated white people who had his life changed, and I think about the impact. I'm, I'm just tracing. I think about the fact that we're here today and the impact that had on my life and what, what is happening in Indianapolis. And I think back to a little group of people that were in a small little church, and they just gave to a missionary. And people are going to line up in heaven by the thousands. They're going to say, I want to thank you for giving to the Lord because it changed my life. You see, money's not evil. It's just a tool. In fact, money can be used for just things that are wasted, or they can be used for things that are internal. The only things that will ever last for eternity are people. And God says there's something really powerful about giving uh, something that's going to last for eternity, that's going to change the lives of people forever, and people will literally thank you. So the question then is, well, what should I do with my money? And I got an easy two-word answer for you. It's very simple. Write this down. Good steward. Be a good steward. That's all God is asking you to do is to be a good steward. God, you own it all. In fact, when you, when you say it the right way, it's, it's I'm God's steward. It's not what does God want me to do with my money. It's God, what do you want me to do with your money? God, what do you want me to do with what you've entrusted to me? You know, the, it's amazing how when we honor God with the first... And then we use the rest of us, the rest of the 90%, how it's blessed and protected. And God blesses us and takes care of us and meets our needs. And we never lack. And we still walk around with a heart. God, use me to bless others. It's amazing what God does. You've heard the stories. I grew up all my life in that environment learning how I should be and what I should give and how the tithe is the Lord's. And then that gets tested for all of us at some point in our life when difficulty comes. So we were married, my wife and I, first year in. And uh, April came around, our first April, and we had a tax bill. Never had that happen before, and it was for $9,000. Well, it wasn't really 9000 it was 900 but it felt like 9000 It was just huge. And we just, where are we going to get $900? We were very poor, and we were like, what are we going to do? And it said it had to be paid in 30 days, and we didn't know. We, we just thought if you didn't pay it, the IRS would come and get you or something. You know, we just, so we were, so that Saturday, we sat down, we wrote out our tithe check, $160. You need to understand something. You, you know, we knew this, and this is where it gets put to the test. You can only do one of two things with the tithe. You can bring it to God, because it's his, or you can steal it, and you can keep it, and you can withhold it. And we knew we weren't going to do that, but we were scared. And I remember we, we put our hands in our checkbook, and we prayed. We said, Lord, we don't have this for this bill, but we're going to trust you, and we're going to do what you say, and we're going to watch you provide. The very next day, uh, somebody came to me and said, hey, I've got a job for you to do. Would you take it? Young guy, would you chop some wood for me? And he paid me. I made a little extra money. Tuesday, we get a letter from someone who said, uh, we didn't come to your wedding. We feel kind of guilty. And here's a check for $200. And on and on it went like that through the month until the end of the month on our little ledger, we had $900 exactly, which we wrote and we paid off that bill. 
God provides. God meets your needs. Try him and test him and see that he will not provide and protect. That is what's so amazing about living the blessed life is how he takes care of you. And you might be thinking, well, I don't have a whole lot. And I haven't really been paying attention much to this because I don't have a lot. You're talking to those rich people and people who have more money to give. And it's not really, I, I'm not living the blessed life. Listen, if you think that you have to have more in order to be a good steward, if you think that you have to have a lot for this to apply to you, if you think that you have to have, listen, lovingly, I just want to tell you that if you don't become a good steward now, you'll stay this way the whole rest of your life. You'll never have more. You see, you're supposed to be, learn how to be a good steward of whatever it is that you have in your hand. In fact, Jesus said this. Didn't he say, if you're faithful in what's, in what's least, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful in much. If you're unjust in the little things, you're going to be unjust in, in much when you have a lot. You need to understand that God doesn't give much until he finds a good steward. God gives you a little to see what you'll do with it and to see what kind of a steward you will be and to see what kind of a heart you'll have. And to the one who he finds faithful, he blesses and gives more. In fact, Matthew 25, the parable of the talent says that he actually blesses the one and gives more to the one who's faithful and he takes away from the one who's unfaithful and gives it to the one who is. That's a kingdom principle. In fact, Jesus said it here again, Luke 16, 12. If you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? I mean, I mean, could it be even that he's referring to the tithe there? If you won't bring to God what's his, how will he ever bring to you what is your own? It says in verse 11, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous man, and I love this, who will commit to you true riches? You know what true riches are in this context? It's, it's people people that will last forever. If you can't be faithful in, in unrighteous mammon, and uh, why would I ever give you influence and leadership and give you, give you influence in life in people that I'm trying to reach? I took my daughter Jordan to Indiana Wesleyan University on Friday. They had this big, you know, uh, tour day, and I took my daughter there, and it hit me hard. She's my middle daughter, and I started realizing my baby Jordan is going to college. I am that old. <laughs> and I was sad and I was excited for her because I could see her just thriving there. And I could feel the sadness of like, my baby's going to college. And they were going through the buildings. And we, we go to this chapel service. And I'm sitting in the chapel. And, you know, as a dad, I start realizing my daughter's going to be here. And I start scoping out the room. And I'm looking at these boys. I'm thinking one of these jokers is going to try to date my daughter. <laughs> and so... I told her on the way home, we're driving back. It says, you know, I only live an hour away. I can come up there and check one of them. I'll check them out. I'm coming up. And she's like, Dad. And I said, listen, you don't understand. I'm going to be checking the tithing records of these boys. And she's like, Dad. And, you know, she's, <laughs> and she says, listen, don't you understand, Jordan? If he doesn't know how to be faithful in his money, how could he ever take care of true riches? And you see, Jordan, you are my most valuable, my most priceless. You're the most extravagant gift that I will ever give to another man, ever. Why would I want, why wouldn't I want that young man to have the attitude of, 
God, I'm accountable to you, and everything I have is a gift from you. I want him to know that everything that's been entrusted to him is a gift of God. It's all about the heart. I want him to be a good and faithful son-in-law or a good and faithful daughter-in-law for my son. And that's who I want to entrust my true riches to, you see. And that's what God wants for each of you. He wants you to be a really good son or a really good daughter. He wants you to be a good steward. He wants you to be faithful and he wants to use you and he wants to bless you and you're precious to him. And he's looking to see what kind of a steward you're going to be. So I close you with this picture. Here's God, and he has it all. Owns everything, owns the world, all resources, no lack. He has everything in his hands and in his power. And, and over here is that everything is broken, the whole world. Everything is broken. People are hurting, people are lost, people are addicted. People, there, there's a great need for justice. People that need to be rescued, marriages that are broken, lives that are torn up, people that need clothing and medicine and people that just need basic shelter and dignity and a whole world that's messed up. And when I, when I, when I look back at that and I say, and I see that and I have the heart of God in me, there's something in me that says something has to be done. I mean, you can't just stand there with the heart of God inside of you and just look at that and say, well, we're just going to, you know, do nothing. So there's, there's something that's driving me as your pastor that will always be calling you. And I'm, I'm, what, what needs to be done about this, you know? So, so here is God over here, and he has everything. And then here is this, this whole world that that Jesus died for that's messed up and broken. And he says, I want you to go there. Don't wait for them to come to you and don't get, wait for them to get their act together. Like, do something. Make a difference. And do you know what's in the middle between that? Us. Us. You and me, people who follow Jesus. And what kind of stewards are we going to be? Are we going to be good stewards or, or bad stewards? And so God looks at my heart, and he looks at our heart, and he says, God, if you'll bless us, we will bless, we will, we'll, we'll, we'll put you first. And God looks at that heart, and so he gives a little to see what we'll do with it. And when he sees us move into action, God says, well, then I'm going to give you more. Listen, there is no limit to how God will bless a faithful steward whose heart gets wrapped up in building the kingdom of God. There is no greater cause than the kingdom of God. There's no greater cause than his church. There's no greater mission than the mission of Jesus. And to the person who says, God, you see, this is the total opposite spirit of the spirit of mammon. He says, you don't need God. And you just need to think about you. And you just need to build your own life. When the purpose of life is so much greater, and the purpose of life is, is God's calling us to be his hands and feet and to do something. And God says, to so the person who gets their heart right and who is a good steward, there is no limit to how I'll bless them. We made the decision to come here years ago, and I didn't know one person in this state, and I felt this, I felt that. I felt, God, you're calling me to go to Indianapolis, and I don't understand it because I don't know anybody there, and it's scary. And I was 29, and we didn't have any money to go do this. But my wife and I felt compelled enough that we quit our job, and we said, God, we'll go. We'll start making preparations. And in that time of insecurity where we didn't know where the next paycheck was going to come, we took 
out of our savings account this one day, we felt, let's just give everything. And that was one of those moments we just emptied our savings account. And we said, God, we're going to give this to you because this doesn't go very far anyway. But you've called us, and we're going to trust you to provide. I remember at the time, the big check for us was $1,000, and I gave it in the offering. That afternoon, I got a call from a friend of mine who was in our church. He was an accountant, and he said, I want you to come over to my house. I have something for you. When I got there, he says, you remember uh, Clancy Taylor, Captain Taylor? Clancy Taylor was a retired U.S. Airways pilot whose wife had died two years before. And two years before, the accountant who was, his, you know, his, his, who was working for him called me and said, can you go visit this man? He's really hurting. He's really broken because of the loss of his wife. And so as a young man, I heard this. I went over there, and I, began, I just knocked on his door, and I started to, to befriend him. And about three visits later, on the third visit, Clancy opened up his heart to Christ and gave his life to Jesus and became a follower of Christ. So here's two years later, and I'm standing there in this guy's living room, and he says, Clancy has something for you. He was, I was doing his taxes. He needed to make some larger contributions for his taxes. And he wants to give this to you for whatever ministry you want to use it for. I took that check and went back to my car, opened it up, and it was a check for $10,000. Ten times what I had just given in the offering that morning. And I began to cry, and I knew at that moment, that's the fingerprint of God. He is going to meet all of our needs. And I want you to know something. That money wasn't for us. We never received the 10000 That's the whole secret of this whole thing. This is not a give-to-get kind of a mentality. I know you've heard that. I know some of you are skeptical, and you've, you've heard people preach the whole give so you can get thing. We didn't receive that. That money wasn't for us. That money went. That was the first offering for Heartland Church. We gave out of what we had, and God used us as a conduit to bless. And here's the amazing thing. That Clancy's in heaven today, but one day... All of you who are baptized here, all the people whose lives were, were, have been changed, all the people who are grateful to God, all people who are in Africa who've received water in Jesus' name, all those people are going to line up and Clancy's going to be standing at the gate of heaven welcoming everybody in. We've made a friend for ourselves in heaven and he had no idea how many lives he would touch when he started Heartland Church with his first gift. And he took something that was just temporary and he converted it into something that we have that is eternal, and God is using us to change the world. I am so bold about this. I make no apology. I want to challenge you and encourage you for the rest of your life. Don't waste your life listening to the spirit of mammon. Break free from that, and we build the kingdom of God, and we see many, many, many people come to Jesus. And I'm pleading with you this. You don't understand how important this is. You, you, you have a purpose in life. And free people, free people. And change people, change people. It is not just so that you can eke out an existence hand to mouth or to be pursuing your own little, whatever mammon is saying is happiness for you. God wants to use you in the kingdom of God. And I'm saying to you, you need to try him and see him. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. When you're a good steward and you align your heart with a broken world, you will never, ever, ever outgive God.